Hey everybody, it's Eric Torenberg, co-founder, partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Venture Stories by Village Global. I'm here today joined by a few very special guests. We have Gabby Dizon of YGG and Linda Shea of Scalar. Linda, uh, Gabby, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having us. Awesome. And I'm here joined by my co-host, Lucas Bagno at Village Global Team. Lucas, welcome. Hey. Awesome. So maybe as, a, as an introduction, um, Gabby, why don't, why don't you, for those unfamiliar, why don't you introduce what is YGG and what compelled you to start it? Sure. So YGG or Yield Guild Games is a play-to-earn gaming guild. So it's a community of gamers that play these different NFT-based games, um, similar to Axie Infinity. The guild itself, um, think of like a World of Warcraft guild, except that the guild itself owns these assets, the NFTs that we um, invest in. And then we lend out these assets to our player community around the world so that they can play these uh, NFT-based games and actually earn some money from them. And and one, you give some historical overview about how this category came to be. Okay, so play to earn is a pretty new phenomenon. I would say it really just started last year. I've been in the blockchain gaming space since uh, early 2018 and really experimenting on like what what really could be the use case of uh, blockchain for games. So there have been a lot of discussion on, you know, players having true ownership, which means that if I have an NFT, I really own it. There's interoperability. But one of the use cases that emerged last year is that you could use these NFTs to play a game and win some cryptocurrency rewards. So these are uh, these are in-game rewards that could be exchanged for uh, for fiat money. Um, and that's how Play to Earn started. Uh, Axie Infinity popularized this uh, model and it started gaining traction here in my home country, the Philippines, last year during the early part of a lockdown when people in the rural Philippines started uh, discovered Axie Infinity and started playing as a way to uh, earn money while they were laid off, stuck at home, um, basically no, no income. And it really just took off from there. Yeah. Linda, you've been in the space, you know, uh, encouraged to broadly for, for a long time early at Coinbase, obviously now starting to fund with Scalar a few years, a few years ago, one of the early funds, you know, we, we had this sort of excitement around NFTs in you know, 2017 or 2018, it feels like, and it, it feels like it took a few years for it to take off. Why don't you chronicle some of the history as, as you've seen it in terms of this trend coming to life? Yeah, definitely. Um, well, I mean, we saw the craze with CryptoKitties in 2017, and that actually ended up clogging the network and uh, gas fees are really expensive. And that continues to happen today. I mean, we're closer to the idea of layer two scaling and uh, actually having a, a more scalable network, but that kind of kicked off the craze. But throughout all of that, there was a lot of discussion on the token standard ERC721 and all the capabilities it could create, having a unique token represent a unique digital asset. And I actually was really excited of the idea of blockchain gaming specifically. Like I thought NFT art was really interesting, but the idea of um, blockchain gaming to me made the most sense intuitively uh, just because I grew up playing video games and being able to like have your in-game items be be moved around and not be like stuck within the actual game platform itself uh, made a lot of sense to me. And so um, there were a bunch of games here and there 
I mean, uh, Gods Unchained and uh, Skyweaver, like there were definitely games that I thought were really creative, but um, Axie was really the game that I think brought in a lot of people into the space. And um, I think a core component of, I, I mean, Gabby definitely has way more historical context of Axie itself, but I think a core component of why we saw NFT art and gaming really take off is just the growth of decentralized finance as well. So being able to have all of these financial primitives of being able to exchange your NFTs with other people in a decentralized manner, and then have just like more primitives of being able to like lend out your your NFTs items to other people. And so I think that's a really core component because otherwise without those primitives, you're just stuck like holding these items and um, it's not as fun, it's not as social. And so um, the growth of DeFi, I think really led to this new trend of why NFTs were actually able to take off and become popular. Uh, one quick point to add to that um, is that in Axie Infinity, you win a token called SLP or Smooth Love Potions when you win matches in the arena. And one of the core reasons it started taking off was because of Uniswap, because when you won SLP, people would change the SLP to, to Ether and then Ether to Fiat, essentially. So without Uniswap, it never really would have taken off. A few of these things have been around, uh, X-Infinity itself has been around for a few years, right? And yet, like, we have seen this massive, massive interest come to be in the beginning of the year. Besides Uniswap, what do you think are other factors that made this happen in the last few months? Yeah, so I think um, the general maturation of the DeFi space, users being able to onboard themselves um, into crypto the link with exchanges is actually something that can't be overlooked. So for example, um, Binance listed SLP as a tradable uh, token. And at first they really didn't understand like who would buy SLP in an exchange because like I can earn it for free in a game, but it actually uh, enabled a lot of players to onboard and offboard easily sell their SLP to to USDT, for example, and then off to fiat. So there's a lot of different factors, but there's the general, like a lot of these different factors combined together to be able to have the players both onboard and offboard easily. And Gabby, one of the things that I think is really fascinating about YouTube games is you're not just working with Axie Infinity, you're working with a lot of other games as well, and you're enabling the access to, to, of these digital assets to, to a larger community. Can you explain how that works across the different games and, and how can you support those early players? Sure. So we've invested in a total of uh, 10 games so far. And when we invest, we do so with a combination of the NFT assets and uh, their related uh, governance tokens for these games. And if you want to earn some kind of reward in the game, it usually means having to buy an NFT um, that's where the kind of the asset comes from that you can earn something out of it. So in Axie Infinity, it's Axies. In games like League of Kingdoms, it's buying the virtual land that earns die. So you do need some form of like upfront cost component um, to be able to earn money. And we, we remove that friction by having the guild invest in those assets and then in turn lending out those assets to our players. So you can come in as a gamer with your gamer knowledge, with zero knowledge of crypto to start with, start playing the game, and then you accrue some form of reward. And then when it's time to cash out, then you need to know some crypto. And you know, when you have like 500 bucks waiting for you, then you're pretty motivated to learn how MetaMask works, right? And, and so talk more about 
like how much of it was the ability to transport goods or you know, and you know between games versus some of the more like you know financial elements or like what do you think really was the was the killer app that made it? I think it's hundred percent being able to turn a in-game reward into fiat with a few easy steps that really made it happen. The other thing that Axie popularized is what we call in in the scene like a scholarship program. So this is an in-game way to delegate your assets to somebody else so that I could have a lot of NFTs and then I could lend it to people who uh, who don't have any uh, in in a trustless manner. Um, and have them play the game and accrue rewards without having to trust that they would return the assets to me. So that's enabled in-game um, and actually not yet on-chain. But this is also crucial in that, for example, in, in Yield Guild, we have over 20,000 axes and over well, close to 5,000 scholars. We lend them our player accounts so that they uh, they can play the game and accrue SLP. And then we do a revenue share on, on the SLP that is, uh, that is earned. And then so, I just want to add, like, also in addition to the financial component to it, there's a really strong social community aspect to it that's been really incredible to see. I mean, the Axie community is so uh, strong and supportive of each other. Like, word spreads really quickly. People are willing to teach each other. Like, Yield Guild um, has uh, community managers where they help onboard people, and they're um, all over the world. And um, I think that that's, like, a really big distinction between what we've seen in the past with, like, World of Warcraft and RuneScape uh, gold farming, where you now have this like community where the players themselves who are experts in the game can now um, collaborate together, share an ownership, um, help decide which games to invest in. Like that's the part that is really interesting, compelling to me that we just haven't seen like in the traditional space as well. And Linda, to, to double click on the point that you just made, you mentioned you're a gamer. I've been a gamer my whole life too. And I'm sure that you've seen things like people selling their World of Warcraft accounts for thousands of dollars or people trading digital assets on Steam for, for, for dozens of thousands of dollars. What are other aspects besides the community that you think that crypto gaming enables that the average person may not yet understand? Um, I think it's just one of the best ways to onboard into the crypto space. So like instead of actually purchasing crypto and, and speculating on it, like there's the idea of being able to like play and earn your crypto and onboard into the space. And it just feels like a much more natural way and organic way of, of joining this ecosystem. And it's fun. There's like a, a social community element to it. So I think that's like a really important piece of like, this is going to onboard a huge wave of newcomers into the space in the same way that like NFT art did, like it brought a lot of creative people and artists into the space. Um, it's not going to be as much of a barrier right now that you can just like open your phone, start playing a game and start earning crypto. And, and that's the way you can actually um, join rather than have to make an account or something somewhere else. It, it feels like this is Balaji's dream come to life. Like he was trying to do similar <laughs> things with, with Earn, but in a, oh, absolutely. Guess, like a professional you went the professional route and games is where to go, where to go perhaps. <laughs> yeah. We're creating like a, a virtual community, a virtual countries on the cloud. This is what uh, Balaji talks about. And we, we call ourselves like the employment agency of the metaverse. We are onboarding people en masse from the physical world into the metaverse and finding jobs for them. So yeah, that's, that's pretty much what Yield Guild does. Yeah. Could you have an overview of some of the just, other players in the system, like if, if you were to give a, a, a mental map of how to you know, think about just this overall ecosystem, what, what does it look like today? And we'll talk about you know, where it's going. 
Okay, so of course we have to start with the games themselves. There, there couldn't be a Yield Guild two years ago, um, and the the games themselves first had to reach some level of maturation um, before you can put this uh, kind of community layer on top of it. And of course, the games have different kinds of NFTs, and those NFTs have financial elements in them. So there's a DeFi element. And then there's a DAO element, which is very uh, important on the Yield Guild side. So how do you coordinate these players from around the world? And how do you give ownership to them um, uh, in, in this manner? We, we're not a company. We're a, we're a DAO or a decentralized autonomous organization. But even then, it's still pretty early on in that process. And we are figuring out the best way to give um, not only economic upside to our player base, but also... Uh, kind of ownership in the system in terms of, you know, they actually own part of the protocol, they can govern the protocol itself. So yeah, so there's a lot of moving parts here. And I would say that it's a testament to the maturation of the crypto space that something like Yield Yield can can, uh, exist today. Yeah. I'm curious to give your assessment, Linda, my cursory understanding is that, you know, a few years ago, we were sort of the the decentralization meme was just starting to emerge. It, It felt like people were talking about it both in a you know ownership perspective, but also a governance perspective. And then we sort of learned that decentralizing governance is really hard. And there were some experiments that didn't really work out. And we sort of like put that on pause and, and was, well, hey, ownership is, is a bit easier and everyone's for it and it's not going to mess up you know any systems. Um, and it feels like perhaps governance is making a comeback. Maybe we're getting better at it. We're creating better tools, better systems. Is, is that directionally accurate or how do you, how do you see that? Yeah, I think it's directionally accurate. I mean, there's like several components to that. Um, first, one of it being um, just when the DAO blew up and everyone was scared of the word DAO, it took a while for that uh, connotation kind of get removed from just, hey, this huge entity got hacked. And so people started experimenting more with DAOs once that, that word got, was okay to be used. But then at the same time, like there's just more things to govern right now. So like Back then, like there really wasn't that much out there and kind of everyone was still at the very early stages of experimenting of what was possible building on Ethereum. And now we have this like really vibrant ecosystem of like DeFi and NFTs. And so each of those have like tangible use cases and are serving tangible customers where uh, you can now actually have this decentralized group govern how do we evolve this going forward. And so we're only going to see more and more use cases of that because there's just more things to govern, more people in the space, more people willing to collaborate on this kind of stuff. So yeah, it, it definitely like took time to get this point. And decentralized governance is still quite messy. Like I'm, I'm part of a number of different DAOs. Like it, it is, uh, you know, there, there are pros to a company, right? Like you, you can get things done very quickly. You know, you have aligned, aligned, uh, mission, uh, very clearly. And so like when you have a DAO and a bunch of people are able to join this very freely, um, you kind of have to keep reiterating the mission and values and kind of get everyone aligned on the same page. And there are things that are being worked on that you might not, not necessarily agree with. Like it, it's definitely uh, a little chaotic, but I think like over time we're building more better tools in the space. I mean, I've just been working on like Gitcoin uh, stuff where we were talking about, Hey, like we should actually have like a shared uh, list of values where we can agree upon this is what, as we make decisions as a DAO, how do we move forward? So it was super early days, but that's where it's really fun. I think that's the best part about be able to join the space is you actually have a say in like the direction of how decentralized governance should move forward. So Linda, um, th- there was that story about Mark Andreessen coming to Silicon Valley in 1984 and thinks, thinking that he missed the whole thing, right? 
and similarly, I, I think sometimes you, you hear some people saying, oh, you know, I missed Bitcoin in 2011 and, you know, not, not now, uh, what, what do I do? Talking more about the future, where do you think we are now uh, in terms of crypto and specifically gaming? And what are you excited about that, they, they, that you think we haven't seen yet? Uh, I mean, I feel like everybody always says this, so it's still super early. Like, I, I mean, honestly, like we're just the stage where like, I mean, it's still very expensive to pay transaction fees in a lot of these use cases. So it's a really big hurdle for a lot of people to actually join the space if you don't already have quite a bit of capital. Um, so it, it's definitely like very early, but I mean, in the long run, like I really really believe that um, that crypto is going to reshape how um, game developers think about creating games because it's going to be more of uh, a social collaborative ownership element to it. And so I'm really excited by that. I'm also really excited by composability. So like being able to combine like DeFi, DAOs, uh, NFTs all together and kind of uh, imagine like you have one in-game asset, but it's like actually a DAO, a huge group of people owning those assets themselves. Um, and whenever that, let's say, gets resold or or used that, you know, everybody gets to share in that. So I think there's um, a lot of really exciting elements, but yeah, it's it's super, super early. And, and I think Axie is, I mean, Axie is just one of the few games, in my opinion, that like is actually really fun to play. I mean, there's, there's a couple others in the space, but I, I mean, as more creators come into the space and help design these games, like, I think it's, we're going to have more and more fun games that we can point to and say like, Hey, this is how you can onboard versus kind of forcing a narrative or something. Where are DAOs having the most uh, resonating the most right now in terms of, you know, communities thriving because of them? Like what's the status? Either of you? Oh, uh, I mean, DAOs, are, I mean, there, there's so many DAOs forming, like there's, I'd say like one of the popular ones are kind of the investing use case where people are getting together to invest in NFTs. They are getting together to actually an interesting one is a side note, like I'm, I'm working on this documentary about Ethereum with a documentary crew. And we had this crowdfund where um, the top contributors would be executive producers of our documentary. And uh, the co-executive producer ended up being Pleaser DAO, which is a DAO in the space. So, mm-hmm. like, actually on screen when you see uh, and watch this documentary, it's going to say like a DAO produced this, which is like the first first time we've seen something like that happen. So they're doing all kinds of things. Um, I'm, I'm really excited by the gaming DAO specifically. I mean, Yield Guild is is such an amazing DAO, and but there's also going to be more like them. I, I'm just super excited by by DG in particular. Um, but I, I I view like DAOs being formed for like all kinds of specific use cases. Like you might have some that are just spun up for the moment, like, hey, like let's get everyone together for this specific job versus really long-term DAOs where it's like, hey, like we want to build, we want to fund public goods, you know, in, in the Ethereum ecosystem or in, in just Web3, um, something like a Gitcoin that needs to focus more on like long-term thinking of how this DAO should run. So honestly, all kinds of things. Yeah, like relevant to Yield Guild, the concept of people coming together to form a DAO to govern an asset or a group of assets. Um, this is how the entire kind of sub-DAO um, system for uh, for Yield Guild is formed. So Yield Guild itself is not one guild. It is, we call it like a guild of guilds or a DAO of DAOs. Like there are different 
DAOs that govern different assets in the game. So, for example, um, it may be governing um, League of Kingdoms. We have an 86 uh, parcel land asset, and we have players who are actively playing this game. So this game actually has its own wallet and its own token, YGGLOK. And then the people who are active in the particular game have governance and financial upside to this. So think about this split towards all of the different games that we'll be playing. Like we don't just want people to uh, be in a hundred thousand person guild. That's uh, you know that's not very personal. I want to be in a twenty or fifty person guild that is playing a particular game or a particular sub community, for example. So that's how we think of it. And if you apply that to all of the crypto space, there's DAOs forming to by a crypto one crypto punk for example there's DAOs forming to invest in the nft space so just this primitive of people coming together and contributing funds to buy and govern something it's something that we're really seeing across the space so we mentioned gaming DAOs. you mentioned investing DAOs. you mentioned sort of uh you know public goods contributions sort of philanthropy DAOs. like paint a picture of of either other you know predominant use cases that could exist or just wh- where is this all going um there's a few others where i mean i really think um DAOs can change the future of work and so talk to many people in the space where they don't work at a company right now they are just employed by like many many DAOs and they kind of choose to spend their time depending on the day and what's needed in, in this a specific DAO so i really think that it's going to change the future of work and we can kind of see it with a few DAOs i mean there's um, there's Metafactory that is uh, create working with brands that create uh, actual physical goods and and work with manufacturers and ship them, and so um, they're like completely coordinating through a DAO, and it's it's pretty incredible. Um, there's also Raid Guild, so like having different groups of people with different skill sets be part of this DAO, and as um, any project needs work in the space, approaching this DAO and saying like, hey, like we need this specific thing done right now. And then, you know, they can assign whoever is best to work on this project. And then there's going to be um, an increasing amount of uh, ways that you can kind of just work with the DAO directly without being like ingrained in the DAO already. Like they can have like a, a job posting of, or task uh, post of what needs to get done and kind of outsource other work. And so people can kind of join these posts and kind of take on things that need to be done by the DAO. And so it's it's really like just changing how we organize ourselves and um, people are a lot more fluid and able to do whatever they're excited by versus like clocking in and out at a traditional job. Yeah, I think it's going to get rarer and rarer that people are going to be full-time employed by by just one employer. We even see this with Yilgid where um, in, in 10 months, we have something like 12 or full-time team members. We probably have another seven to eight people who are part-time that we uh, that we think whenever we need tasks done. But the bulk of our work that actually creates value are not from people who are paid full-time by the Guild. Our 19 community managers that uh, that recruit and train the 4,700 Axie scholars that make up the bulk of our revenue, they're actually community members that are incentive aligned. They earn a portion of the SLP that is generated. And yeah, they uh, they aren't employed by, uh, by that one in a full-time basis. So I think it really is reshaping the future of work. 
So, Gabby, when we're talking about the future of work and all of these new types of jobs, there's also a regional aspect of it that is that is really interesting, right? Uh, we're seeing the rise of crypto gaming specifically in a few different regions of the world, specifically the Philippines, right? It's really funny to me growing up, you know, playing, being from Brazil, there was always the Brazilian community and the, uh, the Filipino community. And those would be the two communities that would be like the big, the, the big, that would have the biggest rivalry in the games. Can you dive a little bit deeper of, you know, what are the regions where you're seeing this really uh, blow up? And why do you think that it's happening there as opposed to here in the United States, for example? Sure. So when I started playing and it was, uh, you know, just a few community members who were investing in NFTs, it was actually more of a kind of US European centric model because these people generally had more uh, disposable income to invest in NFTs. But when play to earn opened where people can start playing the games with zero upfront cost and then earning using, using their gaming skill as a way to earn money, it really opened up the floodgates for a lot of different people from different countries to come in. So there are five countries where we're seeing the most activity with what we're doing. A majority of it, as you said, is coming from the Philippines, but we're also seeing a lot from Indonesia, India and over in Latin America, a lot of action in Venezuela, in Brazil. So most most of our player base uh, come come through from these countries, and of course, there's still others in in other countries as well. But yeah, nothing beats these five countries so far in terms of like onboarding and engagement for us. And what do you think that people that may not have been exposed to that community or been been to those regions of the world don't, don't really understand about this phenomenon that that that, that you're seeing? So for the Philippines, um, I don't think so. What one thing most people don't understand is that the Philippines, as kind of a social user base, has always been around. And if you work in product in Silicon Valley, you've probably seen this kind of Filipino user effect. Like back in Friendster in two thousand three, if you guys remember that, um, their user base started blowing up when one Filipino American. A user actually started sending invites back home to the Philippines, and it actually brought down the network a lot because of the of their social graph, where you could uh, have the six degrees of separation. And then going into other social networks, like of course, it's Facebook, others that got taken over by Filipinos, like Multiply, even to the social gaming era. There has always been a very strong undercurrent of Filipino users who are very social, speak a lot of English, um, are on their phones a lot, and have uh, connectivity. So yeah, this is something that is kind of tailor-made for the Filipino audience once the cost barrier to playing a game has been removed. Got it. And Linda, you, you mentioned the, the documentary you're making on Ethereum. There is uh, also a recent documentary that, that, that we can link to in the show notes that, that showed the, the very... Um, emotional story of a group of uh, 70-year-old Filipinos uh, that, that, were, that, that were making a living playing Axie Infinity, right? Um, I, I'll be curious, Linda, like, you know, engaging with the community the way that you are now uh, working on this documentary, what are some of the most interesting aspects or things that you've learned about the crypto community outside of the United States? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just through the documentary work has been really helpful to just continue to see how much more global the crypto space is. Um, I mean, at Scalar, we've been investing in, in founders all over the globe. I mean, that's what I really loved about investing in Gabby and, and YGG. But as we like talk to more people in the space, like you just realize how vibrant it is in so many different countries. Uh, like we have NFT artists in Latin America and, you know, Filipino community with Axie. And um, it, it's just been um, 
yeah, it's just been really wonderful to see how supportive people are of each other, how it's not just Silicon Valley, um, it, you know, as, as what we've seen in the past with like the early days of the internet and where things are forming. I think in this this time, it's it is very very global. Um, and everyone has a lot of different perspective to offer in the, in this case. And uh, what I love about it is that like now when you um, have these DAOs, you can have easily employ people from all over the world and have everybody collaborate together and share in the voices. And it's way lower barriers to entry. And so like I'm talking to so many people where they're like, yeah, like the DAO we have, like we have people working in like 10 different countries. You know, that's just like a natural thing of what happens. And, and so many times we'll be like, yeah, we haven't uh, met with each other yet, you know, and um, I'm just hearing more and more stories like that. And it's just really powerful that crypto has really brought everyone together. And, and, and as I talk to more people, like it's, it's just such optimism and kindness and support that is just really unique to see, honestly. I want to go a little bit broader um, around, around the crypto ecosystem. Lynn, one thing you were, you were into fairly early on was privacy and, and privacy coins. Can, can you talk about how, how that's uh, evolved a little bit and, and, and where, where we are now? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I still really believe that privacy is going to be a really important part to crypto, uh, especially if you're um, bringing in a lot more um, kind of traditional folks into the space who are very used to having their financial transactions be private. Um, and so the space is like, I think, it has, has definitely been slower on the privacy movement than I, I would have thought, especially on the DeFi side of things. But I think it is um, going to continue to play a narrative. Uh, I mean, we've we've invested in multiple privacy projects as of recent. So I think that um, as the space grows a lot more and brings in more people that we're going to start having those conversations again. And I'd, I'd say that the privacy stuff has been it's been interesting to see it's kind of uh, approached from many different angles, people building specifically privacy on Ethereum, people building separate privacy coins. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And there's like a really big debate between whether this is um, uh, like required, how many people actually want it. Um, but I've always believed that it should be like privacy should be opt in, like people who want to have um, privacy and um, don't want to share their transactions or want to share their transactions with auditors should be able to. So that's kind of what I see the space is evolving. It's like this hybrid of privacy and not private. Yeah. And, and it's ever more relevant as we're now talking, you know, as we're sort of having regulation scares. How do you, how do you see that, that playing out? Is this the first of what will be, you know, many, <laughs> um, like what, what do you, um, what, what is the last week or so in terms of the regulatory front uh, make, make you think? Well, yeah. So I, I had the unique uh, insight of of working at Coinbase on the regulatory side. So I definitely like always saw these kind of conversations happening. Um, I think that there's been so many um, great educational work done in the space. I mean, now we we have like Blockchain Association, we have Coin Center, we have so many prominent people at different companies and funds really sharing their voices and, and educating in the space. Um, so we'll continue to have these kind of discussions with regulators. I think it's just a matter of making sure they're educated and, you know, not, uh, not making decisions that are actually going to end up um, picking the winners or losers in, in the tech space. That's been a big um, source of, of conflict with this infrastructure bill that has been uh, proposed. I also think like it's, I might differ from some people in the space in that I actually welcome regulation. I think that that is a sign of a growing industry. Um, I think it's just a healthy balance of 
um, of how, you know, overly strict you are, because if you're um, really draconian with your measures, you're going to push a lot of people at least out of the U.S. Um, in terms of innovation. Um, but the, the benefit to regulation is that it also provides guidelines in the space, because um, I've talked to so many founders where they they didn't even want to start something because they were concerned about the gray area um, and they had no clear guidance and without spending absorbent amounts on legal bills. And even then it's still unclear. So just having more guidelines in place is a really good thing. And we've seen some regulators like Hester Pierce be extremely, uh, extremely uh, understanding and, and flexible with this space. So yeah, it's, it's always going to be a, a balance. Yeah. And, and, and going back to, um, to Scalar, what else are you focused on uh, investment-wise or, or in terms of your thesis on, on uh, things or sub-areas you're looking to, to, to back more products in? I mean, there's so many things happening in like tons of different areas. So it's like continue uh, on the DeFi space, um, NFTs and what's happening, of course. But I think recently I've been spending the most time on DAOs and DAO tooling and uh, making sure that that there are different ways for people to have discussions, to govern, to kind of make it so that this is on par with running a company. And so I've been spending a lot more time in that space. And also, um, I don't know, just like super, like I'm always really interested in, like YGG is actually a perfect example of this. Like I'm always interested in um, not having too strict of a thesis. Like I'm very open to like hearing ideas that um, just kind of come out of nowhere and that are really pushing forward the possibilities of what's happening in the space. And so just if anybody has like really crazy ideas, I, like I, I actually had all this controversy around um, I, I made a tweet about like, uh, and I, I think Gabby disagrees with me on this one, but it's fine, um, about like renting CryptoPunks and uh, how I actually think like uh, renting CryptoPunks will happen. I'm not saying it's going to be like a giant market or anything, but like I love exploring the idea of like how far you can push things um, if people are valuing uh, owning a CryptoPunk, putting as their profile, well, is is somebody going to pay for renting that CryptoPunk and putting in their own profile? So um, there's also like NFT rentals and in, in that whole space. And NFT rentals and games makes a lot of sense, barring you know use of in-game items. But what about um, things that are used for social signaling, um, like saying you're part of this community or something? So I'm very interested in all kinds of like crazy ideas. So I'd love to chat with people about that stuff. Yeah, you know, one of the heuristics I have in the NFT space is that there's been a lot of things there when you first hear about it, you're like, wow, that's really stupid. And then uh, then the longer it persists, you find yourself actually using it. So I thought that um, crypto art was pretty stupid. I come from a uh, kind of utility standpoint because I come from like game-based NFTs. And I was like, why would you put an image in an NFT and buy it? And then I did so. So um, I sold a piece of land in Axie Infinity and I bought my first piece of art by an artist named Josie Bellini and actually quite enjoy the process. And a year later, I, I sold the artwork for 10 times the amount I originally paid for it in ETH. And I was like, wow, holy shit, this thing really works. And then there's a the thing about like buying and selling tweets as NFTs. And I thought that was really stupid. And then it started taking off. So when you hear an idea in NFTs that starts like sounding really stupid, that's that's when I pay attention. <laughs> yeah, every time I hear these ideas, I'm always like, um, you crazy kids. But, but like they sound like, but like I'm jealous because <laughs> I know that that's, that's what the future is. Just to go back to the DAO versus company thing for a second, 10 years from now. Like what still use, for, like what are people still going to use companies for? Like how, how, how much is DAO going to displace companies? 
I am definitely not as like crypto anarchist as your you know typical person in the space. So I think that both are going to exist in parallel and um, people that want to run companies where everything's super streamlined, like you have a very clear uh, mission for your company and you want to hire specific people. Like I think company is a perfectly fine format for that. But I think that if you want to just be super collaborative and open and see what's the potential of, of getting people from all over the world working on this with you um, and having kind of lower barrier requirements to join, um, I think a DAO is a really great use case for that. So um, kind of like, I think DAOs are great for outsourcing uh, work and, and ideas to a larger group of people. And many times it can be uh, more productive and you can end up um, building something way more innovative, but it also it can slow things down. And I can see some people working way better in a company format and others working better in DAO. So, so definitely parallels. So Gabby, uh, on, on the subject of DAOs, but, but to go back to YGG and the community, you recently had a public token sale, very successful. But that's not the end of it. That's just the beginning. And if I recall correctly, you have a much larger amount of uh, tokens reserved for the community in the future. Can you talk about what the plans are and, and you know what does that future look like to you? Sure. So you're right. We, we did have that token sale. And it's important for us to start giving ownership of, uh, of Yield Guild to our player base. So that's why we uh, we launched the token. And we have 45% of the token supply of YDG reserved through what we call community mining. So community mining are members of the community doing actions that, um, that help the guild. And uh, they receive tokens or ownership in the guild from both a financial and uh, governance perspective in return. So that, that is basically what YGG token is. In a way, uh, it's also it's part ownership of the guild and the future um, economic upside of that. But a large part of it is um, I'm also being uh, able to govern what happens to the guild. So uh, one way to think about it is that what if Uber reserved half of their equity for the drivers that were driving for the platform. What if every ride they took, they received some shares of Uber? Then some of the early drivers would have been really wealthy and have received the upside, not just the founders and the investors. So this is kind of an experiment that we're trying to do. How can we really diffuse the ownership of uh, of the guild of Yield Guild and across the players that are actually creating the value for the network? Got it. And maybe to, to wrap us up, for someone that is really interested in crypto gaming and the new you know modality of play to earn, what would be the best way for them to get started? Oh, I would say just um, show up in the guild discussions and find a way to start contributing. A lot of people ask me, like, how do I become a member of the guild? And I just say, hop on the Discord, start talking to people and see where you would like to contribute. The the easiest way to contribute is as a player. You may join our group that's playing Axie Infinity or League of Kingdoms or Splinterlands. If you don't have the resources to buy the NFTs, then you can do so via our scholarship program. And then people find different ways to contribute to the guild once they kind of have a better sense of it. So um, we have a lot of content creators, for example, a lot of them stream on Facebook and YouTube and contribute um, videos on how to play the game. We have esports players that are competing in kind of ladder tournaments and um, rewards. A number of people from the community have actually been hired by the guild, some in community moderation, some as actual developers. So yeah, so there's no end of ways to contribute to the guild. We we tell people just 
like show up, start talking to people and see where you can use your specific skills to make a contribution. Awesome. That's a great place to, uh, to, to wrap. Uh, Linda, Gabby, uh, any, any last, uh, last plugs? L- Linda, do you want to uh, please plug the documentary? Oh, well, the documentary is going to take a while to make, um, but uh, definitely keep your eye out. We really want to help bring uh, more people into the Ethereum ecosystem and really help understand what, like, what it is that's going on. It's such a unique, passionate community. And so that'll be out probably like 2023. <laughs> and and, and uh, Gabby? Yeah. So for us, if you're a gamer and you'd like to uh, learn more, just uh, hop into our Discord server, discord.gg slash YGG. And if you're a game developer that is making a play to earn game, definitely look for me on Twitter or Discord. We'd love to invest in more play to earn games and are always actively looking. And if you're building something awesome in the crypto space, you can uh, find Linda on, on Twitter as well. And Absolutely. 100% talk. recommend. Yes. <laughs> Likewise. Linda, Gabby, thanks so much for coming to the podcast. It's been a great episode. Thank you. That was really you fun. Know. If you're an early stage entrepreneur, we'd love to hear from you. Check us out at villageglobal.vc.